little boy was playing a baseball game, and a man asked him what the score of the game was. The boy said, we're losing 18 to 0. The man thought, I bet you're pretty discouraged. The boy said, why should I be? We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> Sometimes it's a matter of perspective. Do we dwell on what is presently true, or do we see our situations on what can be? The positive outlook, being hopeful. You see, the boy wasn't focused on losing the, the present reality. He was hopeful that when his team got up to bat, the results and the situation would change. Let me ask you, how do you view and react to your situations when things don't always go as planned? Do you toss in the towel? Do you complain? Do you criticize? Well, if, if this person would have did that, then you know, this, this wouldn't have happened. Or do you kind of buckle down? Do you persevere through uncertainty? Do you view your situations on what can be and trust the Lord, an unknown future to a known God? If I'm being honest, initially, myself, I usually jump to conclusions. I'm usually not very positive. Usually, I am expecting the worst case scenario, which usually results in little hope and I'm not anticipating good from the situation initially. I'm thankful for my wife, Mariah, who challenges me to usually take a step back, look at the situation through a different perspective. What can be? What is God maybe trying to teach me or show me or develop in me to have more of a positive outlook on the situation? And so the question is, why is perspective important? Why is perspective important? You may find this graphic a little humorous. A boat! Whereas the other person says, land! <laughs> Why is perspective important? Well, perspective can reveal, most of the times, a more complete picture. We're able to see the pieces and kind of see how it kind of maybe gets formed together. Oftentimes, perspective can give us solutions to the problems. Perspective can also help to comfort and reduce stress. Typically, it can make situations easier to bear, that there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's something good that can come from this. It's just a season. And most often, people will say that what got them through difficult days, what got them through hard situations, was hope. Better days ahead. God's still in control. He can bring good from this. But to have that perspective, they needed to change their present perspective and look up. Look up. You see, our perspective is the way that we view and interpret life and situations. Our perspective can impact our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions. While we can't always control what happens to or around us, we can change our perspective, which changes our thoughts, emotions, and our actions. 
This week we're continuing our sermon series, looking in the gospel, the, the book of Acts, following Paul's missionary journey as he's seeking to spread the good news of who Jesus Christ is. There's a reason to be hopeful. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He is always in control, and nothing is impossible for God. But initially, initially, Paul's perspective is that he hated Jesus. He hated Christians. He hated the church. In fact, Paul was a Pharisee. He was all about keeping the law and traditions. And he was forcefully stopping anyone who, who, who taught what he thought was false teaching that Jesus was the Messiah or the Son of God. Pfft, no, he's not. Yeah, he may be a good man, good teacher, but pfft, he's not the Messiah. He's not the Son of God. But Paul's perspective drastically changed when he encountered God in a miraculous way on the road to Damascus. His perspective changed. God met him where he was at and changed his perspective. In fact, God's perspective on Paul, God said this in Acts 9.15, This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name. However, the Christians were scared to death of Paul. He was persecuting Christians. He was throwing them in prison. He, he was bashing everything about Jesus' name, yet God said, this is my man. What? And no longer did Paul hinder the gospel, but he advanced it. At once, he began to preach that Jesus is the Son of God, and all who heard it were astonished. And Paul is an example that God can change our perspective when we follow and trust Jesus and keep our eyes on so our topic this morning is this, God's perspective. How does God view the situation rather than just how we are viewing the situation? For the Christian, we can trust God. In fact, we can trust God's perspective because he sees things entirely differently than we do. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Isaiah 55 talks about his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. God can see past, present, and future. God is omnipotent. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Psalm 147.5. For the Christian, there's tremendous reason to be optimistic about our lives and our situations because God is hope, Romans 15.13. God is trustworthy and faithful, Psalm 145.13. And God's ability is limitless. Limitless. Many times in the Bible, people lost hope. They just gave up on the situation because they didn't believe that God could bring good or they didn't believe that God was doing something behind the scenes. The classic example is by a man named Joseph in the Bible. His brothers despised him. They threw him in a pit to die. They sold him into slavery. He was wrongfully mistreated. He was thrown into prison. Uh, so many negative things were going against him in his life. But in Genesis 15, 50, 20, when he had the opportunity to speak to his brothers again, as the second in command in Egypt, he said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God meant it for good. The saving of many souls. And I've often heard it said, 
It's not that our perspective is wrong. It's not that the emotions that we're experiencing are negative or or wrong. But it's that our perspective is not complete yet. Our perspective is not complete yet. God is still doing something. And often in hindsight, when we look back, we can see that God was working things out. I just needed to trust him. You see, God invites us to trust his perspective, his ability, and his character. And somebody wisely said, give God credit that he knows and sees things that we do not. Give God credit that he knows and sees things that we do not. And so, we're going to be opening up God's word, Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12, and pay attention kind of see what God's perspective is in this kind of funny and humorous story. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on and on and on. Please don't point any fingers. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story, and he was picked up dead. Paul went down and threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him, and he said, Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. And the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to know what you want us to know. But by your spirit and your strength to apply it to our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul is near the end of his third missionary journey. And while he's speaking to the church, the Christians in Troas, late into the night, a young boy is doing his best to pay attention and listen to what Paul is speaking about, yet he's falling into a deep sleep, and as he's sitting in the window, he falls to his death, and there's panic amongst the crowd. From the world's perspective, he's dead, which is true. However, from God's perspective, through Paul, he will live, which is also true. You see, too often we're influenced by what the world thinks or how the world interprets and not always conscious of how God sees the situation. I'm sure you've heard this quote from Claire Booth, and she said, there are no hopeless situations. There are only those who've grown hopeless about them. There's no hopeless situations. There's only people who've just grown hopeless about them. Rather than keeping our eyes on God, that he can do the impossible. And so here's our point. Here's the main thing that I want you to understand. That what we perceive is not final when God's involved. What we perceive is not final when God is involved. I have this glass of water here. There's some water in it. And some people would say the glass is half full, the optimist. And other people would say the glass is half empty, the pessimist. 
And based upon your response, it would, it would initially reveal how you view situations. Optimism. There's something good that can be coming. Uh, I, can, I can have hope. I, I, there's better days ahead. There's light at the end of, end of the tunnel. Or for some people, initially they see it as hopeless. Nothing good can come from this. And oftentimes it brings unnecessary stress and overwhelmment in our life. While we want to have hope and believe for better days ahead, too often we're influenced by the world. Rather than trusting in God and His ability and His perspective, which can bring peace. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I came across this quote, and it's pretty neat. And it said, I either have a very big God with very small problems, or I have very big problems with a very small God. What's our perspective? Do we have a big God who's capable and able to do the impossible, or do our problems outweigh how big God is? Because we believe... I like to believe that we all believe in a very big God. We can determine that when God is involved, there's no hopeless situations. But there are always hopeful solutions in Jesus' name. So, in our passage of Scripture, Paul met with the Christians in an upper room in Troas for Sunday worship. And in verse 7, it says this, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread, and Paul spoke to the people, And because he intended on leaving the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. And so a few things we can see when when the people or the Christians were joining together, they were breaking bread. This was communion. They were remembering Jesus' death and his resurrection, their commitment and their faithfulness that it's because of Jesus that we are here. It's because of Jesus that we have hope. It's because of Jesus that we are redeemed and forgiven. And Paul spoke. What did he speak about? Well, he he probably spoke about the kingdom of God. He probably spoke about managing church. He probably spoke about having godly behavior. And he probably spoke about how the gospel is for both Jews and Gentiles. And we're able to see that Paul had a lot to say. But he wanted to encourage and to strengthen um, the Christians and the believers so that they would remain faithful to God and advance God's kingdom by witnessing powerfully about Jesus' name. But what's interesting about this passage of Scripture is that it specifically mentions how long Paul spoke. He kept on talking until midnight. He kept on talking until midnight. And what's interesting is that the passage of Scripture doesn't allude to anybody leaving. It doesn't allude to how anybody is bothered by the length. It seems to indicate that they stayed and were just soaking it all in because it was good and it was nourishment and it was good, healthy teaching. And while we can make a lot of jokes about how long um, Paul was speaking and teaching and preaching, the reality is this, that if God is speaking and moving powerfully, people will stay to encounter God. 
In fact, people will come to encounter God. In February of this year, you probably heard something called the Asbury Revival. Thousands and thousands of people came to just encounter and witness and to be part of what was going on in Kentucky. And this went on for two weeks. People will stay. People will come if they're encountering God. Yet during a spiritual transformative moment comes tragedy. In verse 9, it says this. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. And when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and he was picked up dead. Eutychus, based upon my study and scholars, they, they believe, you know, he was probably anywhere from 7 to 14 years old. And if you look at the meaning behind his name, it's kind of comical. Eutychus means lucky or fortunate one. <laughs> and we're able to see that he's at the service. He's made it a point to actually be there and be present and, and to listen to what Paul is teaching and saying. He, he's trying to stay awake. And Paul is giving his farewell sermon, yet he is falling into a deep sleep. And so here's the scene. A little comical here. A warm spring evening in an upper room filled with people. Many lanterns lit in the room, burning up the oxygen supply. A long-winded preacher and a young boy who sat near ventilation, probably past his bedtime, is falling asleep and falls to his death. While some people get caught up in the details, you know, did this actually happen? You know, maybe he landed in a bush and, you know, it, 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 it was okay. The book of Acts is written by the Apostle Luke, a disciple of Jesus. And he is a doctor, a physician. And he is an eyewitness to this account. And so he would know if somebody is dead or alive. And yet Luke says he's dead. And what's very interesting, the next passage of Scripture, notice how Paul immediately responds to the situation. In verse 10, it says, Paul went down. Well, why is that mentioned? Why is this important? It's important because Paul stopped what he was doing. He didn't say, I'll get to that later after I'm done finishing my point here. No. He stopped preaching, and he attended to a more important pressing need. He was humble enough, sensitive enough to lay aside his agenda to promptly respond to the need. And when I was thinking about this situation, too often we're so focused on me that we don't always see the needs around us or we don't want to take the time for it. But what if those, if we say, interruptions are opportunities from God to extend his love and mercy? 
just a bit ago, I was so focused on doing something that if I'm being honest, I got really annoyed and bothered by the interruption. And I quickly realized that what I thought I was doing was important wasn't actually that important in the moment. You see, God had to change my perspective to get my eyes off of me to see and respond to the need that was staring me right in the face. God had to change my perspective because I was just focused on me. And here's the point. Sometimes we view interruptions as inconveniences rather than opportunities from God. Sometimes we view interruptions as inconveniences rather than opportunities from God to share his love and his mercy. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, talks about do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others as better than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of other people. And it's interesting in Jesus' ministry that some of the most important things that he did was from interruptions. Things that just happened as he was doing ministry. For instance, in Luke 5, 17 to 26, when Jesus was teaching to a large crowd, some men dug a hole in the ceiling and lowered their paralyzed friend right in front of Jesus as he was preaching and teaching. Wouldn't that be an interruption to what he was doing? And scripture is very clear that rather than complain about how much this is going to cost to fix the ceiling or myself, oh, got to go get the broom and clean this up, you know, that's exactly what I wanted to do, me. Jesus stopped what he was doing. He saw the faith of his friends and he healed the paralyzed man. And he went home praising God and so many other people too praised God. Luke 18, 35-43, as Jesus was going to Jericho, a blind beggar yelled for help. However, Scripture says some rebuked him and told him to be quiet. You're a bother to Jesus. But Scripture says Jesus stopped and he ordered the man to be brought to him and Jesus healed the man. And the man gave his life and faith to Jesus. He followed him and praised God. And scripture says when all the other people saw it, they praised God too. And their perspective changed. Sometimes we view interruptions as inconveniences rather than opportunities from God to share his love and his mercy. The point is, Interruptions are not an obstacle to our plan, but it's an opportunity to embrace God's plan. Let me say that again. Interruptions are not an obstacle to our plan, but it's an opportunity to embrace God's plan, his perspective on what's really important at this time and with this need. Pastor Adrian Rogers said, if the devil can't make you bad, then he'll make you busy. 
If the devil can't make you bad, then he'll make you busy. Well, what does that mean? Too busy to see the need? Too busy to do God's work? Too busy for anyone or anybody else other than me? Jesus said, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. His perspective, what he wants in the moment. And so what does Paul do with the dead boy? Uh, What happens? Well, Paul stopped what he was doing. He went down, but he threw himself on the young man. He threw himself on the young man. What's interesting about this Greek word, epipipto, means to fall into an embrace. It means to fall into embrace. Not that this would contribute any warmth of his body to the lifeless boy, but it expressed Paul's grief and his earnest desire to heal and revive this boy. While the text kind of implies a loss of dignity when, you know, dignified people usually don't just throw themselves, you know, onto people. In my study, this Greek word about throwing himself is very rare in the Bible. And there's another instance when the same word is used in the story of the prodigal son. Luke 15, 20, but while he was still a long way off, the the son, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son and fell upon him and kissed him. Paul embraces Eutychus just as the father embraces his lost son who's now found. What's interesting in neither passage scripture in Acts or in Luke 15:20 is that there are no accusations of fault or blame at all. Paul doesn't judge the boy. He doesn't blame other people who should have seen or or should have responded or he he doesn't even blame the homeowner for uh, for the window. And neither does the father tell his son how foolish and irresponsible he was with his inheritance. The point is, it's about embracing others. It's about embracing others in their time of need and extending God's love and his grace and his mercy. And I think we can learn something from this situation, and it's this. Too often we point the finger rather than extend the hand. Too often we point the finger rather than extend the hand. The pointing of the finger is, I told you, if you would have just listened to me, this, you wouldn't have got into this mess. You're in this mess and it's all you. Rather than extending the hand is that help and that support. It's that embrace, that love, that grace, and that mercy, which is the real need. You see, too often we're, we're too quick to criticize others for the mess that they're in, which, for being honest, it hinders the gospel message. And it's not our job to convict. That's the Holy Spirit's job. 
Rather, as Christians, our job is to embrace other people, to extend the hand, and to give love and mercy and God's love. And I wonder how our witness would change from pointing the finger to extending the hand. And so put yourself in either situation, either in, in Acts or, or, or with the prodigal son. What response would be most impactful to you? Someone that embraces you despite the mistakes and, and the troubled situation that you're in? Or somebody that chews you out and reminds you of the mess that you're in, that it's all your fault? Here's a funny story. Lighten up the mood a little bit. When I was younger, I ripped up my sister's homework. Rather than the dog eating the homework, it was the younger brother. And when my parents asked, did I rip up the homework? I said, no. When in fact I did, and I lied, and my parents knew that. This isn't the end of the story. My parents then gave my sister the opportunity to punish me by breaking my favorite toy. And I was standing right there witnessing all this. And my sister is holding on to my favorite toy, and here's me on the corner. <laughs> and instead of repaying me for what I deserved, my sister embraced me. She hugged me. She forgave me, even though I deserved punishment. I lied. And it's this idea that if God gave us what we actually deserve, we'd all be eternally separated from him. But it's because of his love and his grace and God's embrace. It's because of his love. You see, the world's perspective is to repay, get even, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But God's perspective is to embrace, to forgive, forgive, forgive. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with one another and forgive each other. If anybody has a grievance against you, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with blessing. Blessing? It means to speak well. It's hard to be upset and angry with people when you're praying for God's best in their life. Speak well. And this is where we see God's perspective through Paul. Paul says, Don't be alarmed. He's alive. This alarm means, it wasn't just a little shock, but there was panic, there was terror, they were disturbed greatly. While their emotion is natural, it also reveals the world's perspective based upon the situation. That they believe the situation was hopeless. There's no coming back from this. This is the end. He's dead. He's gone. But Paul proclaims God's perspective when he says, he's alive. This doesn't mean that the boy didn't die, but it's implied that God worked through Paul to revive the dead boy who is now alive. The point is, Paul saw God's perspective, what God can do. God sees life when most people see death. And at some point, we have to ask ourselves, 
do I trust God more than I trust my own understanding? Do I trust God more than I trust my own understanding? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. His ways and his thoughts are higher than our own. Times in Scripture, multiple times in Scripture, when people laughed and made fun of God's perspective or they didn't understand. And while it may happen, it doesn't mean that it's not true or that it won't happen. The classic example is we can see by a man named Lazarus. John 11. Jesus heard that his friend Lazarus was sick, and, and Scripture says that Jesus didn't rush to go see him. In fact, he waited two more days. And once he arrives on the scene, Lazarus had already been dead four days, and his sisters were stressed and overwhelmed. And Scripture says that Martha fell at Jesus' feet, and she was weeping. Weeping. You can see the stress. You can see how overwhelmed she is. And this is no ordinary cry. It comes from the Greek word kleo, which means a loud expression of grief and wailing. This is the kind of grief that would turn heads and be like, what in the world is going on here? And what bothered Jesus about this situation is that they didn't recognize the power that was in their midst. In verse 33, it says, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And it doesn't mean that it, it, it forced him to go, oh, like, there, there. No, it actually means Jesus was perturbed. He was irritated. He was unsettled. And Jesus' reaction doesn't really seem empathetic to the situation. But we know that Jesus loved them. And the suggestion that their weeping will force Jesus to do a miracle is not true because Jesus had previously said, our friend has fallen asleep and I'm going there to go wake him up. But their weeping indicated that they were hopeless, believing the situation was final and that there was nothing that could be done. The real problem was not Lazarus' death, but the lack of faith the mourners had in Jesus the lack of faith that they had in Jesus. And you see, Jesus is not helpless in the face of death. Yet they were so focused on their perspective that they didn't see God's perspective in the situation. A.W. Tozer said, sometimes when we get overwhelmed, we forget how big God is. While the emotion is real, Sometimes we don't always remember how big God is and the ability and the power that he has to completely change the situation. And so where's our focus? It's this idea that what we focus on becomes big in our life. What we focus on becomes big in our life. Isaiah 26, 2 says, You, the Lord, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. It's this idea that continual and ongoing focus on the problem brings big stress. But continual and ongoing focus on God brings big peace. Big peace. And so what are you focusing on lately? Where's your eyes? Where's your perspective? Does your situation look hopeless? I'd encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, of our faith. Corey Tin Boom says, if we look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. Finally, here's the happy ending. 
As the result of Paul healing the boy, verse 12, it says, the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. God encouraged them. God strengthened their faith. They were comforted not by the words of Paul, but the actions of God working through Paul to do the miraculous. And it's this idea that while we all need biblical preaching and teaching to help guide and direct us, and I'm not minimizing the importance of what Paul was doing or even in church too, but what tends to impact people the most is when they experience God's power in their life. That's what changes lives. That's what changes hearts. And that's what changes our perspective. What we perceive is not final when God is involved. In just a moment, I'd like you to watch a video. My dad's going to share a story of something that happened in our church in Ottawa many years ago. And there was a couple, and it seemed hopeless. But when God was involved, it wasn't final. Watch this video. Judy asked me if I would share a story of something that happened a number of years ago when we were pastoring in Ottawa. Uh, some children from the neighborhood began attending our church, and they had been coming out to Sunday school and their children's midweek programs for a number of weeks. And uh, the mom decided that she wanted to come and see where it was that the kids were going to church and what was being taught. So the mom began attending the church, and she kind of liked it. So she uh, settled in and started bringing her boyfriend and. Uh, most Sundays they would sit to my left over way on the left-hand side. So this lady and her live-in boyfriend and the children would would, uh, would attend the church services. Um, unbeknownst to me, her uh, husband that she had been separated from for about 12 years, uh, he heard that his family, his kids in particular, were attending church and he wanted to see where they were coming to church. So he began coming to church as well. He didn't get along with his wife, and so he would sit on the extreme far right side of the service, and, uh, and he, he really liked the church and started the coming, and uh, he brought his living girlfriend. And so for weeks and weeks and weeks, months, they came, and she would sit way over to the left with their living boyfriend and the kids, and he would sit way over to my right and with his living girlfriend. And uh, one day she came to me, the, the, the lady uh, that had initially started coming with her kids, and she says, she says, I think God told me that I'm not supposed to um, be living with my boyfriend anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be sleeping around. And I said, yeah, I said, that sounds probably like something God would say. And so she did. She broke up with her, her living boyfriend, but she kept coming to the church. And uh, uh, she said to me, she says, I, I think God just wants me just to be by myself and, and, and not be sleeping around anymore. And I said, yeah, okay. Well, maybe a month went by and her husband that was sat way over my right-hand side, he came to me one day and he said to me, he says, he said, I think God asked me to move out from living with my girlfriend. And I said, yeah, probably. That sounds like something God might say. And uh, so he did. He moved out from living uh, with his girlfriend. Now, they had been apart for about 12 years. And from the world's perspective, from the perspective of almost anybody, there was no chance of these guys ever reconciling. Um, but uh, she came to me a second time and she said, uh, she says, do you think God may want me to get back with my husband? And I said, well, maybe. I said, I don't know that for sure, but I said, maybe. Well, about a week later, he came to me and he said, uh, he says, I think God asked me 
to ask my wife out on a date. He says, do you think I should do that? <laughs> and I said, well, no harm. You should go ahead as far as I'm concerned. And sure enough, they did. They, they went out on a date and lo and behold, they got back together again. They, as I said, they've been apart for 12 years and very adversarial relationship prior to that. But I had the, the privilege of officiating at the uh, renewal of their wedding vows and they got back together as a couple. And the point is, from the world's perspective, there was no hope for this couple. They, they didn't like each other, they didn't get along, they hated each other's boyfriends and girlfriends. There was a lot of animosity. But from the perspective of God, God saw things different and God so arranged that they eventually got back together again as husband and wife.